I had a fry every day this summer. Or from that building site. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, the food, the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Okay, we have made it to Kinmare, and I'm delighted to say that Mickey Ned O'Sullivan has welcomed us into his home. Mickey, it's great to see you. How are you keeping? Excellent, excellent. Looking forward to Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll have the right result. Yeah, I, I decided to, to give you a shout and to come down to Kinmare because Kinmare is really on vogue right now. Not that you need any reminding about Sean O'Shea or Stephen O'Brien and even the Temple No Lads, your, your yeah. neighbours here, but it really feels that the, the club and the clubs around this area are on a high right now, especially after Shawnee's kicked the last day. Yes, there's great excitement and euphoria building and uh, you have actually seven guys in, in the panel at the moment from the district, which is unprecedented. And it's a great reflection of the clubs, Temple O and Kinmare and even Kilgarvan and Tosist. And you see, it's a great reflection of all the work that has been done at underage in the clubs. And uh, and as the players grew up, they went to Publiskol in Verschkena. All the players went there and they came under the tutelage of Tom Connor, who has a very interesting role model for people all over the country. He took over the the team in his when he was seventy. He had retired in the hotel business and he spent the last ten or twelve years and he's in his eighties now and he's still organizing the football in the in, in the in the public school in Verskena. So a great role model for everybody around the country, never trying the towel. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, how did the schools sort of give um, a, a huge kick to certain areas, like whether it's out in, in Dingle under Fitzmaurice and the SEM, obviously, down through the years has been yes. such a, a big factor. So this isn't uh, necessarily two rival parishes coming side to side. They are, of course, that when they're on the yes, club pitch. Yes. I think these lads would have been friends growing yes. up and very close already. Yes. They all play together. They all grew up together. In fact, also, not to mention, there's Julia Sullivan, who's also went to the school. She's playing for the Kerry Ladies in the All-Ireland the following week, right. which is a great reflection on the culture of the school as well. How does it differ from the Khmer that you grew up in, in terms of the football prowess of the area? Well, at that, you see, it's probably, when I was growing up, Timpleno, Khmer... Kilgarvan to assist were all the one team in the county championship. But because they are now a victim of their success, Temple No have, have become a senior team. Kenmare has come, become a senior team. I've no doubt about it. They'd be winning county championships had they not had this not happened if they were both still playing together. Right. So it's a plus for the clubs. It's a minus for the district. Okay. So what, what has changed then in terms of the, the individual greatness of all these teams? Like you mentioned the school already. Are, are there other factors at play yes, in this area? I, I think that the good leadership in the clubs, excellent people involved at all levels, at underage level, up to senior level. And 
they have nurtured and developed the 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 players and their skills and their prowess. Mm. So it's um it's leadership from the bottom up rather than the top down. Am I right in saying as well that around the time you would have been an underage player, hurling would have been a bit more of an influence as well in this area? Yes. Uh I grew up playing probably more hurling than football and until I became minor uh, underage then we kind of had to uh, concentrate on the football but traditionally hurling was the dominant game in the, in the area but now obviously over the last 30 or 40 years football has taken a priority but hurling is still strong so where, where is it like the Khmer people are, are dual players? Is, is there a, a divide when you get to a certain point or, or who are the hurling no, folk in this area? No, and I'm involved with the club senior football team. There are eight or nine of the footballers involved in the hurling team. So it's a dual, it's a dual club. Makes it difficult for both hurling and football. But you have to, you, that is the the right of players, they have the right to play both games yeah. and you must respect that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you often see people from this part of the county on the county hurling team and it's like this little oasis of hurling that exists nowhere near North Kerry. So, yes. so what's the, the historic reasoning for that, do you know? I suppose traditionally Kilgarvan and Kilmare uh, were hurling strongholds. They have all, going back 130 years, hurling was the dominant game. And the tr- it was tradition. And they had won more county championships in hurling than football. So football, um, I suppose that the big factor I can remember is there was a guard stationed to Kenmare. He was an awfully man called PJ McIntyre in the 60s. And he was, he was into football. And he started all the youngsters around playing underage, coached them, kept the pressure on them. And gradually, all these lads came together and won a county championship in 1974. And that was really the beginning. Okay. And, uh, and it has obviously grown since. From your own perspective then, I guess it would have always been very hard to turn your back on football after the underage success that you mentioned there. And just getting onto the senior panel with Kerry at such a young age. What I'm really interested in is those early years with the Kerry panel when you would have gone in there and you would have seen the two mix, the two great mix, Mick O'Dwyer, Mick O'Connell, right at the end of, of their, their playing days. What was that experience like as a young fella who I'm sure acutely recognised the greatness of the two men you shared a dressing room with? It was, it was a great privilege. I, was, I joined the panel when I was 18 and for the first two or three years, they were still on the team and you respected them. You stood back, you admired them, you learned from them. And it was a great privilege to be on the same team as Mick O'Connell or Mick O'Dwyer. And then it was a transition stage. They were uh, coming to the end of their career, all that age group. And then our group were gradually coming in. But contrary to what people think, we uh, lost championship for four years before we won in 1975. 
and it's very similar to, I remember me discussing this with Johnny Shea recently, I said, it was very beginning of the year, it was a bit down, he says, look, I'm, I'm in there five years, and I've won nothing. I mm-hmm. says, that's the learning process. We did the same. Most of us were in there for four or five years before we won a, any championship. So, you see, a, t- a team goes through a growth stage, a performance stage, and a decline. Uh, the growth stage, no team comes overnight. And the growth stage is where you learn from your defeats and you take everything on board, just as Kerry, this pre- present Kerry team has done. They have had mm-hmm. agonizing defeats but they've gone, come back, they've learned, they've rectified situations that didn't work out. It was a learning process. And most, no team develops overnight. Rarely, only the exception. So it takes, what, what it takes, it's a journey of learning from, you have to learn from your mistakes, from your uh, disappointments, and it, improves the resolve that's why I feel Kerry have had the learning process they have the growth process they are now in the performance stage they haven't been beaten they conceded three goals this year in the championship and they are now in the performance stage whereas Galway are still hopefully they are still will be learning from the disappointment on Sunday because Kerry age structure is about 26. They're at the ideal stage. Whereas Galway have, they have probably a wider base of age structure. But I think that Kerry now are in the performance stage. Mm -hmm. They can continue in that stage for as long as they're hungry. And as, as long as they keep, hopefully they'll win on Sunday, and they looked at that, how can we be better? Just like the Limerick Hurlers. Limerick have brought this to a fine heart. And they push back the decline. If the hunger, like Dublin did in the football, they extended, they they kept the succession planning to perfection. They kept players hungry. They kept players fighting for their positions. Whereas if you put out the same team again next year after winning, you're on the decline. Yeah, you need fresh blood, a couple yes. of new faces every so, year. Going back to your question about uh, from 70 to 75, that was a transition stage. You had the lads in decline really, didn't you? you yes. The two mixed yes. in decline. And then you had the younger lads, the Polly Lynch's, the John O'Keefe's, they were all in the learning, the, lear- the, the growth stage. The, that's a really interesting contrast between those two generations of players then. What I'm interested in is, from your own memories, how do players like Mick O'Connell deal with the decline stage? You know, the, knowing all your life that you've been one of the best players in the country, if not ever, and realising that age remains unbeaten. Yes, yes. I, I presume uh, he never declined. He walked away. He walked away before he declined. Yeah. And... He probably saw these lads that weren't born when he was playing on the Kerry team, which is a fact. Yeah. 
And then he says, probably it's about time that I took the circus off the road, you know. You rode off into the sunset? Yes, yes. And the same with Mick. And they both continued with their clubs. Are you, um, surp- are you surprised, so- sorry, uh, Mickey, that, that uh, Mick O'Dwyer became the very visible face of Kerry GA after that and Mick O'Connell retreated uh, literally to, to, to Valencia for a, a while? Did you always notice that in their characters? Not necessarily. Uh, Mick O'Connell was a perfectionist. And uh, he probably, it was about perfection of the game. I'd say he hadn't interested he wasn't interested in management. Mm-hmm. Once he had done it, he had made his mark and he uh, uh, did other aspects of his life. Mick was involved probably in his club as a trainer and uh, the natural progression then was he had great leadership qualities, good management skills and was to progress um, they they were different personalities. Yeah, very much so. It certainly yeah. seems that way. Yeah. What then do you think Mick O'Dwyer saw in, in you as a teammate and then as a as a player for him that he thought you'd make a good coach, a good selector? I don't know. Um, uh, I'd say the reason because at the time I had I was doing a degree in physical education okay. in London. And the perception of physical education was fitness. And make the obvious thing was we need some guy at the time. That was the nearest thing to sports science. Mm. You were the cutting edge. Yeah. And we need to get this guy in because he has been abroad. He has seen how they do it in soccer and rugby. Maybe he, he might benefit yeah. uh, us and bring it to another new level. When Mick O'Dwyer departs as Kerry manager, is there this shadow that constantly lingers for people like yourself, for all the managers that, that managed in the 10 years after, yeah. even if you didn't appreciate yeah. it at the time? In hindsight, was that the case? Not necessarily, because you understood it was a transition. Sure. And most people would have advised me, don't touch it. Right. There's a no-win situation here. People were telling for, you that. Yes. But I felt... I was asked to do the job. I will do it to the best of my ability and I will take them to the next level. And that's what I went in to do. Try and make the transition. We knew that the transition would be slow because I had been involved in the previous management structure. And there was a mistake made. No young, there was no succession planning. And at that stage, I actually left the management team because there was no uh, interest in succession because you can understand uh, Mick's point of view was uh, these lads have given me everything I'm not going to be dropping them of course. and we'll play them to the end and I can see his loyalty but I could see the picture that succession it was vital, otherwise we were going to go into a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I went in then, I had to get rid of guys that wanted to stay on and were, in my opinion, on the decline. Yeah. And 
I brought in, I asked, could I have the under-21s? And I brought in 20 under-21s to the senior panel. Uh, one fell swoop? Yeah. Right. So there was no way you were going to start winning anything, but you had to grow these. So we we won the under-21 All-Ireland that year. And we went to the All-Ireland again the following year. And we won the Munster again the following year. So that was the basis of the 97 team. But it was going to be a slow process. I was under no illusions. And uh, in Kerry, the whole thing is um, you have to win in All-Ireland. I knew that, but I had to have my own uh, targets and goals. Otherwise... I, I was in a, a, a loser for, you know, I was just going to get a lot of stick and not take it. But I had no problem with the stick because I had my own goals. Yeah. Taking the players to the next level. How bad was the stick? I, I never felt it. There was no social media. There was no... It, it wasn't the thing that time. Okay. It's social media and media. There was very little media that time. There was maybe two or three papers. That was it. And you, you, you'd get your raps. But that was natural. That went with the, the role. So you just did your job. What you thought was the right thing, you didn't give a damn what people said. Because you felt you were on the right track. And that was it. It's interesting. We had Darrell Canada on a show a few weeks ago before the Dublin match, and he was saying that he kind of alluded to the fact that Ogie doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for the foundation yes. he laid for Pawdy. Yes. Like it does feel that there's Mick Oak, then Pawdy, and everybody in between just kind of gets forgotten about as a carry manager sometimes. Same thing will happen, Peter O'Kane. Yeah. Peter O'Kane has gone through the growth stage of this team, but Jack will get the benefit. And that's about timing. Mm. And Jack is good at timing. And uh, so the, the same thing, Peter Kane will get the, Ogie didn't get the, the credit of building that team. And, um, but that's, that's management. You can achieve anything in management as long as you're not worried who gets the credit. I was, just, I was just about to ask that question, actually. Maybe it's not for you, then. Maybe do you think, in general, managers like, like Ogie are actually okay with that, that they know yes. themselves what they did, yes. even though nobody's giving them credit? Yes, that's it. Theodore Roosevelt said that. He says, you can achieve anything as long as you're not worried about who gets the credit. <laughs> it's a good saying. And that is the ultimate in... If you have to manage, you have to... You manage from the bottom up and you give everybody credit. It isn't about yourself. That's the old-fashioned where it came from the top down. Management now is about developing everybody, management and players to, the, to, to contribute to the, the common goal. And that's basically... Uh, everybody going into management now knows that. Yeah. Was there a particular moment in modern Gaelic games where you realise that everybody is now thinking that way? Uh, the vast majority of people understand that now, yeah. that go into management, that it's about the people you get on the bus, the people that uh, you, you look, you can't be an expert in every area. You look for what you think 
the best person in strength and conditioning, the best coach, the best physio, the best psychologist. But not alone that, can, can we work together? That is very important. Have these people an ability. You see, you can bring in somebody and you don't click with them. That, that causes, it's like a cancer then in the group. It wears it, it cuts, it, it, it eats into the effectiveness and to the core and the values. So it's very important that you understand the personality and know the personality of the person you bring in and that you work well together. And there are no egos. Mm-hmm. egos ego is the enemy. And so that's the ultimate that that people are in it for the right reasons and they're in it for to make their contribution and basically if they get credit so what Mm -hmm. but ultimately they're making their contribution for the overall target or the overall goal there's two things I want to ask you about on the back of that of your own personal situations. We'll come back to you as, as Limerick manager and your work with maybe Keen O'Neill in just a moment. But before that, it's the other side of things, you being brought in to a camp. And one of the most fascinating parts of your career, in my opinion anyway, is uh, the South Africans picking up the phone to you uh, all those years ago. Uh, for those that have forgotten, what actually happened at, at that point and how did that come about? Um, it came about that... Um, um so the Springboks were worried about their ability to catch the ball. This was 2005 direction, yes, was it? Yes, 2005. And um, they got on to Conor O'Shea. And Conor O'Shea recommended me. And uh, I went out with Jonathan Callard. He was fullback for England... I suppose in the 90s and he was the English kicking coach and they wanted to improve kicking and aerial skills and both of us went out and we worked in with the five super super 12 teams or super 14 teams that time I think the blue bulls the cheetahs and these and we worked with them first and then Jake White brought us in to work with the Springboks. And uh, it was an interesting uh, um, concept because I asked him why, and he said, um, if, for example, an out half kicks the ball and the winger, he kicks it towards the winner and the winger catches it over his head and down, it, he says it could be the winning between winning the World Cup and losing the World Cup, just into small details. And the first day I was with them, I couldn't believe how big th- these guys were and how uncoordinated <laughs> a lot of them were. So I says to him, um, how come these guys are so big? And he says, you know, 180 years ago when the Europeans came out here, they went out into the bush, he said, working in agriculture, and he says only the, st- the biggest and the strongest survived. And he says the, the DNA or the, the average South African is, he gave me stats, so much heavier and bigger 
than the average European white. Right. So, and that was the, the reason. But they weren't that coordinated, but they had to work on it, you know? Okay. But it was an interesting uh, experience. So you were doing like high ball drills with them basically, yes, was it? Yes. Okay. And uh, it was interesting, the first day I met the uh, the team, uh, the Springboks, and they said, you know, he, he, Jake White was trying to give a background where I was coming from. And very little, very few of them knew about Gaelic games. So I says, I'll give you 10. I brought the 19th, zero, 2005 Tyrone versus Kerry match in a DVD. Well, could you not have picked a better one, no? <laughs> so I said, uh, I'll show you 10 minutes of the game that I'm involved in. So they sat back anyway, and after the 10 minutes, we want to watch it all. <laughs> so, and then they you could... You turned it off before Canavan's goal, obviously. <laughs> and uh, they couldn't believe that there was 80,000 people and these guys weren't being paid. Yeah. And they couldn't believe the speed and how they, the big thing was, how they could exploit space. And they felt that's what they could bring from Gaelic football, breaking the line, creating uh, penetration. And then they asked me to do something on that. Right. And, um, but the interesting thing, when I was talking, I spotted this guy. He was one of the coaches, and I recognized him. It was David Campisi. Okay. He, was, he scored the famous try in 91, I think, against, in Lansdowne Road against Ireland in the World Cup. Yeah. So I said, there's a guy there knows probably more than I do about high catches <laughs> from the Aussie rules. And David was a very quiet guy. So he, I brought him on board with me in the drills and things because he had, a, he had actually played Aussie rules as well. So that was an interesting uh, development there. And um, so, no, it was a... Then Connor got feedback... And Connor asked me, would I get involved with the English development squad up in Yorkshire, okay. up in York? And I says, Christ, you, I can't let anyone in Ireland know that I'm doing this, you see. And did you do it? I did, yeah. And uh, I just went over a couple of times into York, I think it was in York. And uh, that was an interesting development as well. And how... They were developing. Connor was involved. He was in. He was a kind of um, development officer for the English rugby union at the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And obviously still involved with the, the English yes. rugby union at the moment yes. as well. Yes. Right. Okay. And is that where your rugby uh, coaching career ended? No, in, uh, well, I had played. The only game I played in when I was in uh, Strawberry Hill was rugby. It was the nearest to Gaelic football. So I had a, a good experience of rugby yeah. over four years. You should say as well, obviously, it was uh, in England, South Africa, World Cup final in 07, South Africa got the job done. The, the Mickey Neto Sullivan derby, I, don't, I didn't realise that's what it was. <laughs> so you, you taught Brian Habana how to catch a high ball. Yes, um, he was on the team at the time, yes. And he was young, he was only about 19. Yeah. But he was very well built and very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Back to the Gaelic Games then, and I mentioned that I did want to talk about your the other side of things, being the coach who brings yeah. people in. Uh, when you talk about that growth mindset that exists from a managerial standpoint, everybody's talking about Park Joyce this week and his decision to uh, enhance his own coaching ticket with people like Keane O'Neill. Yes. I think you were the first person to ever give Keane a chance at inter-county level. That's right. Um, I'd heard about him and he was coaching a junior club in Clare at the time and uh, I rang him and met him and was impressed by him. So he, he was brought in then as a strength and conditioning person and spent two years and had a very positive uh, input into development of these Limerick players at the time. The good mindset, good attitude, good approach. And uh, then he went to Tipperary and moved into more of, I think he was still in the strength and conditioning, but went from there to Mayo and got into the coaching side of things okay. then. And uh, no, it was um, very good. He was very professional in every way. Did you see that there was something there that this guy was very ambitious yes, to, to succeed? very ambitious. And he wasn't going to stay with us. Okay. And uh, that was, you know, you could see that he was ambitious. One last point there on, on Keane, just about the, the transition from strength and conditioning into kind of more of a, a tactical coach. Is, is that an unusual pathway for, for a young coach in, in GA? It is, because generally speaking, strength and conditioning people, you know, in the management thing, there, is, there isn't a big crossover between the strength and conditioning and the coach. Mm. And from a manager's point of view, you give your slot to the strength and conditioning person and you give the slots to the scorching. But I know there's a lot of interaction as well between both. But generally speaking, uh, strength and conditioning people stay within the, that area that they're qualified in and the coaches then are a more broader perspective because they don't come, they come from a football point of view. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't have the knowledge of the strength and conditioner and they would stick to, to they usually the football side of things. Okay. So he's obviously managed to shatter that glass yeah. ceiling in, in yeah. some regards. Yes, yes. Um, just a, a couple of other things, Mickey Ned, I was looking at the forecast for Sunday. It's going to rain. You know all about playing All-Ireland Finals uh, yes. in, in the wet and, yes. and the rain. Yes. Uh, 1975, obviously, it wasn't uh, the, the best day. Yes. Obviously, you... Uh, can't possibly have memories of that full game after after yes, what happened. Yes. Um, it, I'm interested just in, in that moment. Is that something that you kind of look back at and, and laugh at? Is it something that you're you're proud of? I mean, it's such a unique moment in such a big game. Uh, and at the same time, it's, it's a terrible, uh, horrific moment for you in that moment. Well, it just happened and you accept it. Mm-hmm. The most important thing was the lads went on and won the All-Ireland. Yeah. And you really... You don't think about it. You just these things happen. Yeah. You don't have a regret, or you you accept it, and you you enjoyed the f- the, the few minutes you were there, and uh, you move on. Yeah. Um, it it just that was part of the game. And the interesting thing about it, the person who was reputed to have knocked me out, has become a very good friend, <laughs> because every time we go to Dublin. We give a ring, or any time he's down, we touch base. We might have a drink or a meal, and it it led to a great friendship, 
And we have never discussed that situation. Yeah. It's interesting. You've never talked about it. No. Who is it? Sean Doherty. It is Sean Doherty. Yeah. And uh, we, we've, we've, what goes, what goes on, on the field, you leave it on the field and yeah. you move on. And you have a lot more in common than you don't have. Yeah. And football is about, it's, a, it's, it's not about, it's a journey and it's about the people you meet and you have so much in common and you have kept, you, you, because you have a similar, um, we'll say, gone through a similar pathway, you have a lot in common and those friendships blossom outside of the football field. So um, it's you. You leave everything. What goes, what goes on the field stays on the field. You know. It's a good way to be. Were you going to pass the ball, or were you, were you going to go for goal? I haven't a clue. <laughs> I haven't a clue. But I've seen once or twice. I saw it, and uh, I think I could have passed it. I think Ogie was running so. <laughs> inside me, and uh, I was probably obsessed with scoring a goal, and. Uh, didn't I should have passed the ball but that's that's life did you pass the ball more after that moment no I don't think so <laughs> didn't learn my lesson um, so um, that's basically I don't remember an awful lot more about that game no um, but it is it is one of the the more iconic uh, yeah. moments of, of, of an All-Ireland and uh, an All-Ireland in the rain in particular yeah. Just to fast forward then to, to 2022, then you mentioned there talking to, to Sean O'Shea a few weeks ago and or at the start of the season, I should say. How proud were you to see him kick that kick? I mean, every Kerry person would probably got a sense of pride, but just given the fact that you know the man, given the fact yes. that, that, that he is your neighbour. I was 100% sure he was going to kick it right over the bar. Because any time I go to the football field, he has 15 balls in the middle of the day and he's practising. His mental resolve is phen phenomenal. Once I saw him, but Shane Ryan didn't allow Shane Ryan kick the ball. He was a captain. He took re responsibility. I knew he was going to score because, you know, he has such a, a discipline, a self-discipline that he has worked on over the years. And... He doesn't say much, but he leads by example and he demands a very high standard of himself. Mm -hmm. And he's a perfectionist in terms of uh, kicking, uh, well, his, his ability to kick freeze. Mm -hmm. He works, works, works. He's a great role model, both on and off the field. And I couldn't speak highly enough of him as a person and as a, as a leader. He's a... He's a I don't know. I don't know. Are there born leaders? I think leadership is learned, but he certainly has learned it. Okay. Did people in Kilmare always know he was going to be this good? Uh, up to about sixteen years of age, you you didn't. But then he began to develop. He developed his game, but he developed physically as well, and he he has to, he's. Developed himself enormously from a physical point of view, because he wasn't structurally that strong. But I'm telling you, you wouldn't want to hit in against him now. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, 
he said on our show a few years ago that he took a year out after the leaving cert because he did it when he was 16 and uh, he was working for the family business which allowed him to become a professional minor footballer I think yes, was his yes, phrase so yes, yes. it's that work ethic yes, you, you yes. speak to and that year in particular I think yes. that made a big difference yes and I suppose we're very fortunate in Kilmere now that he's got a job in the local um, uh, public school uh, in oh, he's working back here yes. now, is he right? He's teaching. Okay, I thought he was. Te- he, so he used to be teaching in Cork, obviously. That so. was he was just doing his dip. Ah, his, okay. uh, uh, in Colossus three, I think he was, and but he's he's full time now in Kilmare, okay. which is great, and all the students, uh, uh, you look up to him, you know, because he's a great leader and he's a good teacher as well, you know. And is that that is chairman of the club? Is he? He was chairman. Sure. But he's five years was up, but he's still running the club. You know, he's yeah. he's uh, exceptionally. His dad played Kerry Minor as well, centre back. Uh, I don't know what year now, but I get mixed. As you get older, you, you can't pick out the years. And so, um, no, he's he lives football. You know, yeah, and that's what's required. And you have to eat and sleep it. And he certainly does it, you know, and he leads by example. And he's not a, he doesn't say much, but he leads. What he says is worth listening to. 100%. Yeah. Are Kerry going to win on Sunday? I would think so. But then again, you have to be careful. Anything can happen in the heat of battle. And, but I think that the stage, as I already mentioned, that Kerry are at, they're in the performance stage, whereas I still think uh, Galway are in the growth stage. And I think that gives the, the tips the balance in Kerry's. I think it's going to be low scoring first half. I think Galway will close down all the channels and maybe after 45 minutes it will open up. And I think then Kerry will finish stronger, okay. you know. Very good. Um, Mickey Ned, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks a million for being so generous with your time. You. And uh, hopefully it's another great day for, day for Kilmare and, yeah. and the Kilmare District as a whole on Sunday. Hopefully. Looking forward to it. <laughs> OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.